Isaiah 53. Well, nowhere in Scripture is the death, burial, and resurrection and glorification of our Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, laid out in such detail as is in this great prophetic poem that we have in Isaiah 53. The central theme of the Bible is atonement by blood. And of course, the central character, the main character of the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting as we've looked at Isaiah, we said the first 39 chapters dealt with uh, judgment of God upon Israel. The next 27 chapters deal with the comfort of Israel that the Messiah is coming. The first nine chapters from 40 to 48 uh, deal with the, um, with the superiority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then we have the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ from 48 through 57. And then we have from 58 through 66, nine different, uh, or three, three sections of nine, we have the sovereignty or the future kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. But right in the middle of that, you have, uh, you have 27 chapters. And the 14th chapter, 13 on each side, you have Isaiah 53. It's just amazing how that then under the inspiration of God, this poet prophet wrote. But right in the middle of that, you have Isaiah 53, the most comprehensive of all scripture about the Lord Jesus Christ coming and suffering and dying and rising again and providing atonement for eternity for our sins. So what a beautiful chapter it is. And then, we, so let's begin reading. And in fact, as we said, uh, actually Isaiah 53 starts off in verse 13 of chapter 52. And let's just read it together. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what he had not been told, that they, for what they, what had not been told them, they shall see, and what they had not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we shall see, shall see him, uh, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. 
He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had known no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He was put, he has put him to grief. When he made, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Now, Father, we pray that you will bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word this morning. May we understand at least a little of the scope of your love and your grace that you've bestowed upon us, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Oh, Lord, may we know you because of the Lamb. May we understand the preciousness of the blood that was sprinkled for us upon the, the mercy seat. May you understand, Lord, the great love that you have shown to a lost and dying world, and that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. But most of all, Lord, we realize that uh, we don't worship a, a tomb. We don't uh, worship, we don't even know where the tomb is. We worship a risen Savior, a God that we talk to today who makes intercession for us because you are our high priest, you are our Savior. You're the Lamb of God. You're our Lamb that was sacrificed. And now, Lord, we pray that you would just, you, Lord, that you would give us, restore and give us a new love for what you've done for us, and a new appreciation of the price that was paid and what you've done for those who will believe. And, oh, Lord, may you have many to believe because of the preaching in the teaching of this church. Bless, we pray now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Actually, as you look at this passage, we see, of course, the <clears throat> how that uh, he was confounded many. How could he be in verses 12 through 15? We looked and we saw how that, uh, uh, how that the kings of the earth would not understand because how could he be such a suffering savior and yet a conquering savior? And that was, of course, the uh, the great contradiction that the that even the rabbis had. How can you have a suffering savior and a savior that's going to be king of kings? And of course, we know that uh, they did not understand that there would be two comings. And John the Baptist did not understand. He said, "Are you the Messiah, or do we look for another?" And of course, the Lord told him, 
He said, uh, there's no man born greater than John the Baptist, but the, the least in the kingdom of heaven. And those, in other words, you and I know more about God's plan of salvation than John the Baptist did. Now, he was looking forward to salvation. He was looking forward to the Lamb, but he did not understand everything that you and I understand about the cross and about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is a great revelation. And this is something that was mysterious, even to Isaiah. And that's why he was a holy man of old, as what First Peter calls him. And he spoke as he was moved by the Holy Spirit. So this is a spiritual psalm to, from Isaiah, the gifted prophet and the gifted poet, who didn't know what he was talking about. Isn't that interesting? We saw earlier how that uh, uh, 150 years before a man was ever even born, he named a man that he was going to be a king that was going to send Israel back to the promised land. I mean, God knows what he's doing, does he not? And so we see that this is a prophecy of what God is going to do. This is the Lamb of God coming. It's the very central theme of the Bible. Now, we saw that in verses 1 through 3, who's going to believe what we're talking about? Who's going to believe that this kid coming from Nazareth, who doesn't come from any... As far as we know, any kingly lineage, although he did, they didn't understand it. In a little unnotable town up in you know, the north part of the country. Why, why didn't he come from a palace? No, he came in a manger. And so we see that, uh, they, who's going to believe that report? Who's going to believe that? Now, of course, we're talking and you're saying, who is this and who's our and so forth. And these first six verses we are saying, oh, who is this we and our? You know, he, it was that he, of course, he, he bore our sins. This is redeemed Israel as they look back from the millennium and see what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And so they're looking back, even though now the, we're talking about people that have not been born yet that are going to be saying what we see in the first six verses. They're going to look back and say, Who's, how could we, you know, we didn't realize. We, he was despised and we esteemed him not. We missed him. The innkeeper missed him, did they not? The scholars and the, the Jews, whenever the wise men came in, and they could tell you exactly where he's going to be born and everything, but they didn't go with the wise men to meet the king. They knew the scripture and hearing they heard, but they did not hear. And seeing, they saw, but they did not see, as, as Isaiah said. They were blind, but one day they will. God is going to redeem Israel. But then, as you notice this passage, you see the pronouns. And in the middle of this, uh, in the first uh, uh, portion of this scripture, you have six things about we and our. And this, notice he says, he was born for our griefs, or he has borne our griefs. That should be an E on that, born our griefs, and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And we said transgressions were outward acts, iniquities is twisted thinking. And Isaiah said uh, back in Isaiah chapter 1 that the whole head is sick. It was a very nice way of saying you're sick in the head. And so, you know, people that are uh, away from God are sick in the head. They don't think. Uh, they're enemies of God by their wicked thoughts. And anybody who's an enemy of God is sick in the head, are they? 
And so, and, and so he bore our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, in other words, the payment of our peace, the, what it took for him to provide our peace was upon him. Uh, with his stripes, we are healed. And there again, it's talk about sin sickness, not uh, physical sickness. Oh, you can have your body healed and yet still go to hell, folks, but it's the soul that counts. And so we see, and with his stripes, we are healed. And we see that he, and God hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And so we see that they see this, and, and then we see the last section, and we're going to skip the ver, verse, uh, uh, verse 7. But notice he goes on there, six more things, or seven uh, more things, that he, six more things that he talks about. Let's go with uh, that uh, he talks about. He says, for my transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Of my people. Now notice he changed from our to my. So now we have God speaking in the last part of the chapter. He, you shall make his soul an offering for sin. Speaking of God. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. Who is my righteous servant? God the Father. God is my. He says, for he shall bear their iniquities. Not my iniquities, but theirs. Notice how he changed it from their, their, or from my, from our to their. And he says he was numbered with the transgressors. And he, of course, and he bore the sins of many. And he made intercession for the transgressors. And that's all of us, folks. But then right in the middle of that, just like in the middle of uh, this great divine prophecy of chapters 40 through 66, in the middle of these, these verses and these statements about what Jesus Christ did for us and what he, uh, what he will do for, for us, we see that we have the central theme of the entire Bible. As he says to us, and he says that, he says, excuse me, in verse uh, 22, he says, uh, thus, thus says the Lord, the Lord our God, who pleads, or, I'm sorry, excuse me, uh, verse 7, he says, and he, uh, he was oppressed and afflicted, and he opened out his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before it sures is dumb or silent. So he opened not his mouth. And that's the central theme of the entire statement that the Lord made about his death, burial, and resurrection. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. There's a great study on, in fact, it's one of the best books I've ever read. I think you can get it on uh, the internet. And, but uh, it's by J. Sidlow Baxter, and it's called The Master's Theme of the Bible. And he goes through this, and he talks about uh, exactly what the Lord did, and he goes from Genesis to Revelation. But he, he zeroes in on this, and I like what he says here. He says, uh, are we still quite sure uh, that this is the center position happened accidentally? Uh, this is where it belongs. Uh, that is where the prophet poet put it, speaking in, by the Holy Spirit. Of course, he was moved by the Holy Spirit. This is where God has put the Lamb, absolutely central in our redemption and in our salvation. 
And so we see that uh, the Lamb of God is the centerpiece of all prophecy. It's the centerpiece of all creation. It's the centerpiece, of course, of our salvation. Now, in doing that, we just want to look at then uh, the central theme of the Bible this morning. We'll come back and have to look at uh, exactly what he did. He made a, his grave, uh, uh, of course, with the, oh, excuse me, he, he was... Um, he made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich. That was a beautiful passage. We'll look at that later. But you know, Joseph of Arimathea was the one who had to give uh, a brand new tomb. He was a rich man, and he gave his tomb. Why did, it, why, did it, why did it have to be a brand new tomb? Because in Psalm 1611, it says that he shall, my, my Holy One will not see corruption. And of course, for a person to touch a tomb with a dead person in it made them unclean. And so even the Lord, who was sinless, could not go to an unclean tomb. He had to go to a very fresh tomb because he was not going to see corruption. I like, it must have been interesting where Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and asked for the, the uh, and Pilate kind of looks at me, he probably says, you know, you're a rich man and you're wanting to give this to him. I mean, I know you Jews and you, and he says, I'll only need it for a weekend. You know, <laughs> but so there again, uh, you know, the, the tomb was all laid out 700 years before that it was ever occupied. And yet we see that all the way from creation, all the way back into the time of Adam and Eve, God had a plan for our salvation. And so if you notice your notes, and we're not going to be able to look at each one of these this morning because of time constraints, but I'll, I'll try to uh, give you the verses around it. And of course, I would love for you to go back and study this on your own. But if you remember Abel's lamb, well, actually the first lamb that was killed, if you really, it's not mentioned, but uh, remember what Adam and Eve did when they were ashamed of their sin? They made fig leaves or made leaves, right? What did God do? He gave them animal skins. What did he have to do in order to give them animal skins? He had to kill an animal, didn't he? The first death on earth was probably a lamb that God killed for the covering of sin. And yet that's not mentioned, but the next lamb is Genesis chapter four. We know Abel and he gave the the first of the firstlings of the flock. So all the way back into the time of Adam and Eve and their sons, we see that God told them exactly that a lamb had to be provided. And so we see the necessity of the lamb in chapters four, chapter four, verses five through seven. God was happy with Abel's offering and he was not happy with Cain's offering. Because Cain said, I'll worship God the way I want to. And man has been worshiping like Cain ever since. They've gone the way of Cain, as the Bible calls it. There's a lot of people out there today that are worshiping the way of Cain. I was just listening this past week uh, or watching. And I, I follow some of this uh, news on internet, especially about uh, religious trends or whatever. But there's a very popular woman speaker on uh, television. She's made millions of dollars. Um, with the way that she's one of the richest women. Uh, there's three different people, and she's one of the top three that make a lot of money off of preaching 
on television. But uh, she said, you know, we don't have to be, you know, we should not feel guilty about sin. Has she read Isaiah 53? She's got a problem. I mean, until we realize that we're sinners, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet. Until you are filled, until God convicts you of sin, there's no way of being saved. If you think you're good enough to get to heaven by just saying, Lord, let me in because I've been a good person, you're on your way to hell, folks, this morning. Yes, there is a conviction of sin. And yet I want it to be in my life now that I've been saved, now that I have the, I'm a child of God, I want that sin to be, a, a kind of, that conviction to be kind of a radar where the Holy Spirit teaches me and says, don't go there. That's a good conviction of sin, isn't it? Those are convictions. And yet, whenever, and I'd, rather, I'd a lot rather for the Lord to say, don't go there, than to say, don't go there. Amen? But he will do that. He chastens those he loves. And so there is a conviction of sin. And so we see that uh, there was a necessity of the lamb that was slain. And then the second time that we see that, see, is Abraham. Remember Abraham? As he was taking his son, his only son, Isaac, up that Mount Moriah. And his son, who was probably a teenager to a a man at the time, said, Father, uh, you got the wood and everything, but where's the lamb? Remember that immortal statement that he made? My son, God will provide a lamb. And as soon as Abraham was ready to sacrifice his only son, the Lord said, stop, Abraham. And what did he see? A lamb. And so we see God provided the lamb. Yes, it was a test of obedience for Abraham, but it was a provision of God because no man can die for my sins except the lamb of God. And so I can't, as we see the horrible things that happen in false religions where the children are sacrificed on the altar and all these horrible things that happen. And by the way, folks, a lot of our kids are being sacrificed on the altar of humanism today in America. But here we see that uh, uh, no, no man outside of the Lord Jesus Christ can forgive you of all your sins. And so God will provide himself a lamb. And then, as of course, the next time we see a lamb prominently in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 12. Remember Abraham, or excuse me, Moses, and the children of Israel before they left uh, in the Exodus. And he said, okay, I want you to provide a lamb for each household. And that, and that household, uh, if I, and I want to see the blood sprinkled on the doorpost of the little, and if I see that, if I see the blood, I will pass over you. It's called the Passover ever since. And as a result, we see that God provided and then he instructed that the necessity, but now we see the necessity, necessity. we don't worship, they didn't worship the dead lamb. No, it was the blood of the lamb that counted. And so we see that it was a lamb for sin. Then with, uh, with Abraham, it was the lamb of one person. But now we see that it expanded any family member, anybody that was in that house, the death angel did not pass, passed over them. But it was only the, the houses, 
that did not have the blood that were affected by the Passover. And so we see the Passover lamb. The, there was a death for the family. But then we see in Leviticus, as we go on, we see that the Lord spends two whole chapters talking about the character of the lamb. It had to be what? Without blemish and without spot. Not one bone was to be broken. And it's interesting because in Isaiah 53, Isaiah was talking about the Lord's crucifixion before crucifixion was even invented yet. He was talking about uh, a death where, and of course the uh, Leviticus talking about not one bone was broken. Crucifixion would be the one most agonizing death uh, born of man that not one bone was broken. See, from his head, his feet, sorrow and love flowed mingled down. And yet, not one bone was broken. Every ligament was torn to pieces. But it's amazing how the character of the lamb, it had to be without blemish and without spot, talking about the sinlessness of the lamb. And of course, on that day of atonement, Yom Kippur, it was for the whole nation of Israel. So we see it expanding and the scope of the of the worship of the lamb, worship of the Lord Jesus through the, uh, through the picture of the lamb of God. And so we see that uh, the Passover, then we see the character of the lamb. Then in chapter, in Isaiah 53, which is the centerpiece of it all, we see the lamb now becomes a person. He was led as a lamb before the slaughter. And as a ship, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And so we see there was a lamb for the iniquity of us all. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And what would happen whenever that person who brought the lamb to the priest, he would put his hands on the lamb and the priest would would slay the lamb and the blood would flow on the altar. And that was a picture of transferring of the sin of the person to the lamb, of course, which would be provided. And that was the lamb of God. But here we have the lamb of the person. And we see now it's just not, uh, <clears throat> just not any person because we see in the next passage in, Isaiah, in John chapter 1. We talked about John the Baptist earlier. But remember when he saw the Lord Jesus coming, what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. He's the one that I'm speaking of. He's the one that whose shoe latchet I'm not worthy to, to unloose. He's the, he must increase. I must decrease. But it was the, of course, it was the lamb, notice now, not the nation, but it takes away the what? The sins of the world. For God so loved the world, John chapter 3, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So we see the sin or the offering to the world. He came into his own. He offered himself to his own, but his own received him not. But to as many, and aren't you glad though he says to as many? As belief in him should not perish. But he said, but to, to, to as many as received him, 
To them gave he the power, the authority. We are called children of God. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ today, you have the authority to be called a child of God because, not because of anything you've done, but because of what the Lamb of God has done for you. And so we see it was a sin, there was a lamb offered for the world. Behold the lamb. He pointed to fingers. It's so interesting how that the world takes and they try to worship the creator, the creature rather than the creator. But uh, from what I understand, there, uh, there are certain beliefs where you have to have a, a, a relic of the Bible in order to have a, a holy altar. And from what I understand, there's something like 12 or 13 fingers of the John, John the Baptist under those altars that makes it a holy altar or whatever. No, um, I don't know where John, John the Baptist is buried. I don't even know where Jesus was buried. All I know is he's raised and he's in heaven today and he covers all my, he washes away all my sins. And so we see the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the, of the world. Then, in, then you remember the Ethiopian eunuch. We talked about him back a few months ago. That fellow who was in Africa, he came up and he went through the, the uh, uh, was probably around the time of the Passover, and he was heading back home. And Philip was called from a large group uh, where he was preaching, and he went out to meet a guy, meet the guy as he was traveling back home. And the guy providentially was reading what? If you look at, at uh, Acts chapter 8, you will see that he was reading verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted and he opened up his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. That was exact, that's the quote of that, that the man was reading. And what did Philip say? He opened the Bible and he began there and he, sp- he spoke and he, he, he talked of Jesus. Not only did John the Baptist identify him, but we see that Philip named him. And of course, Peter said, there's no other name given among heaven, given among men, whereby men must be saved. And that's, of course, the name of Jesus Christ. So notice Jesus is the Lamb of God. And he's the central character of the Bible. He was a picture all the way back to Cain and Abel, all the way through history. And so they were looking for Job said, I know my Redeemer lives. And that was probably the first book of the Bible. He knew he lived. He didn't know exactly where he was, but he knew he was coming. Isaiah knew he was coming. We knew he came and we're looking for him coming again, are we not? And so this was a picture and this was, he was named the Lamb of God. And so, and of course, the Ethiopian was saved. It's kind of interesting because he's a Gentile and you know, a whole different race than the Jew and whatever else. But what a blessing to know whosoever will may come. And so we see the, that the lamb in the book of Acts. But then First Peter, of course, he was the, that, uh, the lead disciple. But he talks about that we were not uh, saved by, the, uh, by silver or gold but by the precious blood of the Lamb. And of course, that the, the, who was raised from the dead, as you would read that passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. And so we see the resurrected, the precious blood of the Lamb and the resurrected Lamb. 
I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I don't worship some dead idol. I don't worship go to some grave. And uh, don't, go, don't go to Egypt or to, to Palestine or to the promised land and let somebody tell you where they know where the grave was because that's one reason God wouldn't let you know. Why don't we know where the grave is? Why don't we know? Why don't we have the cross? Because God knows that if we had it, we would worship it rather than him. We would go to his grave and do all kinds of crazy things like they do at other dead men's graves rather than worshiping the God of heaven. Because man is more apt, as Romans chapter 1 says, to worship the creature or the created rather than the creator. And so that's the reason we don't have it. That's the reason that we don't have Jesus Christ on a cross on the wall up here. He's not on the cross. He's gone. He's in heaven today. But he's looking down on us and he's present with us today, is he not? Because he's the omnipotent, omniscient, ever-present holy God. And so we see that it was the resurrected lamb that Peter talks about. Then one of that great and glorious passages that we have in Revelation, in chapter 5, we see the lamb is in heaven. And we see the enthronement of the lamb. And everybody, the, the people uh, around, the 24 elders and all the angels, they all fall down and worship. And what do they say? Worthy is the lamb, the worship of the lamb on his throne. And so we have the Lord Jesus in heaven today. We know one, one thing that he's doing for us. He's interceding for us. In other words, he's talking to God the Father about you and me today. He's talking, you know, those people down there, they need a lot of help, Lord, or, or Father. And yet, I, we don't totally understand that, but yet it pleased the Father to, please, to, to, to allow this to happen through, for, the, for the joy that was set before the Lord today on his throne. He despised the cross, and he, or he, he went to the cross despising the shame and now is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he's in heaven today, interceding for you and me. And the Holy Spirit, of course, which reflects him, is in our hearts today. And he points us to the Lord Jesus. In fact, that's one reason we, don't, we talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, but uh, we want to honor who he honors, and that's our, the Lamb of God, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so worthy is the Lamb that was slain for you and for me. And so in Revelation chapter five, we see the lamb in heaven. But then in Revelation 22, well, 21 and 22, notice for all the way from Genesis to Revelation, you have the lamb. Central theme of the Bible. But we see the Lord now, the reigning lamb, as the lamb of God now rules over heaven and earth, as he makes a new heaven and a new earth, and he, that we will be with them forever and the streets of gold, and all the rest they talk about. And he says, I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Those who come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Eternal salvation, great, full salvation, free salvation, now he offers. Oh, take his gift, oh, hear his plea. That's the, that's the plea of us today. Back 
about a couple hundred years ago now, there was a lady in England and she was a Christian, but she was stricken very badly as a young girl with debilitating illness. And she got so discouraged. And they invited the preacher over one day and uh, she just really, she didn't even want to see him. And so they had dinner and she went to her room. But uh, he spoke to her outside of her door and he said, you know, God loves you and God will use you as you give your heart to him. That really spoke to her heart. And she said, how can God ever use a person like me? And she sat down and she started, she was started just writing some notes. And she wrote a little ditty that we still sing today. Just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. And so, Lord, here I am. I don't have anything to offer you. I don't have, phys- I don't, whatever I have is yours. I mean, who am, what can I, what can, how can I get to heaven? Unconditional surrender. Take me and use me. So we say, O Lamb of God, I come to thee. I come. They that come to me, I will what? In no wise cast out. Oh, may we worship the lamb, the lamb that was slain. May we worship the lamb that was raised from the dead and lives forever, and that we can go directly to him in prayer, knowing that he ever makes intercession for us. Aren't you glad you have a Savior like that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can call you Father because you provided the Lamb. And we know that we can go directly to you in prayer through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and that we will see. May we not be like those who neglect you and hearing they hear not and seeing they see not, but Lord, reveal yourself to us. Oh, speak to our hearts, whether tender Draw us to you as you love us. May we find some way of showing our love for you. O Lamb of God, we come. We love you, Lord. And we pray that you would take our humble offerings and use us for your glory. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>